And it goes back to what we were speaking about earlier, which is wholeness. Yes. It goes back to understanding the wisdom of our bodies to go back into wholeness. Yes. I think that that wisdom is divine and that wisdom lies in, in all nature. Yeah. So when we connect to the way of the goddess by honoring us and honoring life, we can trust the divine rhythms and trust that our desires, our pleasure, our grief and our pain all mm. have a way of finding healing yeah. and to, to move through them with this ease, help us to, to find the way back home inside. To reawakening love and power with Carol Ann. I am genuinely so thrilled to be sharing this conversation with Sasha Cueto. Everything that she shares in this conversation is so deeply meaningful to me personally, and I love how much integrity she brings to her spirituality, that it's grounded in social awareness and um, political considerations as well as embodiment and it just really feels like full integrity it really is what she lives and breathes and I love her storytelling and I love how she really just explains things in a way that is so easy to understand if this podcast, whether it's this episode or other episodes, have been particularly meaningful to you, I have a request. Could you give it a review on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app? It helps more people to find it, and it helps me and my guests to make more of an impact. Sasha Cueto is a Mexican multicultural woman. She heard the call of the sacred wild at a tender age and has trained as a priestess and healer since age 12. She is committed to sexual healing and empowerment and loves supporting visionary women on their sacred journey. She is passionate about trauma resolution, feminism, tarot, archetypes, embodiment, and jade egg. She uses these and many other tools to help people reconnect with Eros and Psyche. She is a Vita certified coach and integral coach. So Sasha, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I'm really excited about everything that we're planning to cover. And I would love if you could start us off by telling us a story. Thank you so much for this very kind invitation. And the story that I want to share with you today is a story that is universal because the universal journey of women has to do usually with the visit to the underworld. And I say that it's universal because in many cultures, we can see the same folklore in which the woman, the goddess, is meant to travel to, to the underworld. And so, even when this is the story of Baubo, 
it doesn't start with Balbo. It starts with the matter, the goddess of the earth, who have this beautiful daughter, her own seed, Persephone, taken away by Hades into the underworld. When Hades took Persephone out of love, passion, desire, or lust, the matter was devastated. She couldn't she couldn't find any consolation because her own vibrancy, her own life, the light of her eyes was missing. And so she cried and she begged for help and she cried again and she searched anywhere under every rock and talked to everybody and yet again. Nobody was able of helping her recover her daughter. And nobody was able of giving her back her hope. So the matter was about to give in. She couldn't take it anymore. And she stopped to cry at the edge of a well. And she was just crying without any consolation, without any hope left. Less when she started hearing some tingling in the distance. She then turned her gaze up and found that the tingling was the bells around the hips of the wild and only Baubo, who came dancing fearlessly towards the matter. Baubo if you don't know her yet, is a goddess that speaks through her pussy. Her lips are her vaginal lips, her vulva. She has eyes on her breast and has no head because she needs no control, no rational thought. And she dances wildly, fiercely, uncontrollably, and shamelessly. She has the womb as her brain and she follows the palpitations of the womb. She dances and moves her hips with this beautiful rhythmic heartbeat of the womb and the heart together. And she was dancing fiercely in front of the matter. And in her dance, there was silliness and playfulness and joyfulness and pleasure and ecstasy and then playfulness again and sorrow and aliveness. It was life moving through her body. It was this sense of connection with all the wombs. As the mother saw her dancing, she could feel her motherly energy, her motherly womb being held and understood and lifted. And as she was lifted, she recovered the hope with the smile that came to her lips as she saw Baobo dance. The rhythmic tingling of her hips started making her own body move gently. And before she was realizing it, she was on her feet again. 
becoming one with this beautiful rhythm that Bobo was sharing with her. She had recovered her energy, her life, her force to continue her search for Persephone. Mm. I was getting goosebumps up both my legs as you were telling that. Ah. Uh, I love this story because it represents the journey that we all take. Because in stories, we are all the characters. Mm -hmm. A story, just like a dream, represents all the personalities and all the characters in us. We are each and every character. We are the tear and we are the one that is crying. And we are the one that is being cried for. So in this case, the matter is this goddess in us that has to take a journey to reclaim her daughter, Persephone, who is her seed. But the one thing that I find the most magical about this story is that we are given the roadmap. We are given the clue, the road out of the underworld, the road to keep going, the road to find ourselves lies in our sexuality. Mm. Mm. And I love that it, the portrait of our sexuality is not. Um, it's not what we would see in women's magazines. It's not like only in marriage between one man and one woman. It, it has that real like primal, playful um, feeling to it. That is the one thing I love the most about sexuality. When you actually start working with it, you realize that it's not something that you give somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Or that somebody gives to you, yeah. but something that is our natural right, our mm. nature, our own rightful um, natural essence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always look so polished and perfect. Like I tell you, some of the faces I've made and some of the sounds I've made are <laughs> not very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Right when we do our sexual practices and we're empowering sexual practices, it feels like, oh my God, if somebody was looking at me right now, they could be thinking that I'm possessed or something. Well, so that is, it's interesting you say that because um, when it struck me when I was in a room full of women doing breath work to heal our, our sexuality looking around the room, I thought, you know, there were women arching their backs and kind of howling and coughing and yelling and, and um, shaking. And I thought, the ever, what I see here, what our bodies naturally do when they are returning to wholeness, when the body is leading, what our bodies do looks like an exorcism. It looks like being possessed. And how interesting that that exact expression has been demonized. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And that 
there was actually a moment in which women could be born for that in the stake. If a woman had just mm. an orgasm, mm. she could be born as a witch. Because mm. uh, I mean, that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it has been demonized badly. But yeah. also, uh, I, I had that experience that you are describing too. And something that hit me is how natural it feels, right? Mm. It, it feels, yeah, like an exorcism, but it feels so tune into nature it feels mm. just like it was our our natural way of going back home yes it feels natural and it feels like if you follow the rhythm and the wisdom of the body you would know that there was nothing to be afraid of because the next step is home oh. Oh. <laughs> absolutely Mm. Mm. and the body yeah the body knows how to take us home yeah. <sighs> can you tell so i know that um one of the things that you're really passionate about is for women to reclaim the full spectrum all of the aspects of what it means to be a woman, not just um, not just limited to being kind of sweet and surrendered and um, beautiful, that it also can include that the primal nature and all of the emotions. And can you tell me a little bit more about that? Thank you for asking, because that is one of the things that I am the most passionate about because I have found that that is one of the ways in which we women have been the most limited by thinking that we just have to stick to certain box. Like women are uh, uh, lunar and they are you know, connected to the moon, but only to the moon. And they are soft and gentle and magnetic and they are this and they are the other and this list of rules that you get from one place that seems so similar to the other, which is patriarchy, right? Mm -hmm. they, they seem so similar to, to, to domination. They mm -hmm. seem so similar to limiting uh, our existence. When I hear that women are emotional, but not intellectual, mm -hmm. I am thinking, wait a minute, what about Athena? She was a goddess of the mind. She was a goddess that was the brightest brain around. She was uh, a goddess of war. We are not always peaceful. We, always, we have also that aspect of warriors and, and we are driven and we are fierce and we are ambitious as well. We have Juno or Hera, who is also a goddess that is driven. So... What I have found is that we started attributing traits of behavior to the masculine and the feminine. And in doing that, we are not realizing how much we are limiting our own capacity and complexity. Mm -hmm. And then if you look even further back, you can find that those same traits 
were not always masculine or feminine. Mm -hmm. But there was even a time back in the day in the first dynasties of Egypt, I, which means I am not even talking about the age of a stone, uh, which people didn't even know how to do stuff. I am talking about the first dynasties, the first builders of the pyramids, just to mention one culture, because we have so many other cultures that were like that. They had energies that were feminine, that were what we would today call masculine. Mm -hmm. They were political, they were bright, they were driven, ambitious, they were fierce, they were all of the things that we now want to attribute to a penis instead mm -hmm. of recognizing that energy has no genitalia. Energy mm -hmm. is just energy. And in recognizing that we're opening more the spectrum of all the capacities that we have yeah. as humans. Like yeah. I, I as a woman can be bright and I can be driven, but also can be very emotional, but also can be very deep. It's we, we as individuals have a whole village of archetypes living inside of us. Mm -hmm. We cannot limit it to to one gender or the other because when we do attribute a trait to a gender, we are treating it like an exception when we show that trait as a person of the opposite gender. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. oh, you are driven because you are in your masculine. Mm -hmm. You are so clever because you are in your masculine. Mm -hmm. Or if a man is tender and soft and loving, he's in his feminine. Mm -hmm. And then we are forgetting that he was always tender and loving to begin with. Yeah. It's not about yeah. uh, an energy that he's embracing more. It's about his one nature. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I definitely agree that it... it the way that that language is used, these are masculine energies, these are feminine energies, can be used to reinforce the kind of stereotypes and the boxes. And I think it is, it is powerful to, um, to play with different energies that feel quite different from each other and to enjoy and embrace having different aspects of ourselves. Um, I also find that, you know, when you say, well, she's in her masculine, he's in his feminine. So I often find that when people are diagnosing other people, uh, it's not, it's not just about the, the person that they're diagnosing. It's about the person who's saying it. The, I, I think um, I try to stay away from telling other people about how they are in general. Um, and at least in my case, and I'm curious if you have seen the same, when there is this, oh, you're in your masculine, you're in your feminine, it wants to sound understanding, but in the back, in the bottom, I'm feeling a sense of judgment yeah. towards the fact that he's too feminine or yeah. she's too masculine. It's, yeah. People want to make it sound like it's okay because we have both feminine and masculine. Yeah. But in reality, when you find a woman that it's in quotations so much of her masculine, 
Mm. It's not a compliment. Mm. People don't say that as a compliment. People say that as, oh, you need to balance yourself a little bit more because mm -hmm. you're too much in your masculine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. And I, I don't really know what the best language or what better what language would be better because i do sometimes love um feeling what i would call really feminine and playing with that but i don't want to be limited to that and it, it yeah it is sometimes useful to kind of be able to describe things that feel quite different to different energies to experience. But I don't know what the right answer is to how to use that language or to how to find language that doesn't put people in a box, but still gets the, the essence of it. Um, but I, I really do love that idea of what you're describing for people of any gender to be able to play with whatever energies they want without judgment that the energy you're expressing doesn't match your gender. Because, and there, of course, we know there's so many more genders besides man and woman and um, people, a lot of people who don't, they look at the box called man and they look at the box called woman and they go, I don't want either of those. <laughs> That's the one thing when I get the most shocked because I notice that we are going towards inclusivity, which is amazing. Uh, but then the same person that is um, going towards inclusivity and says, oh, there are so many genders and, and we have to welcome them all, says, oh, but I'm in my masculine and now I am in my feminine. And I say, hey, the per that person that is non-binary, does, doesn't it get like uh, a, a double message in there? Like mm -hmm. during your, it's like when a person says to a lesbian, oh, are you the man or the woman? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even a lesbian, but I'm like offended on behalf of lesbians. <laughs> right? It's offensive. Or when, when you see a, a gay couple and you tell the man, oh, now are you the woman or are you the man? And yes. He's like, I am neither. I am a man. So, yeah. But he's soft and gentle and kind and loving and he likes mm. to be penetrated. Are you going to tell him that he's feminine mm. or just he's living his manhood in his own way, in the yeah. way that he yeah. uses and that feels better for him? Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. Mm. Can can you tell me also about your your love of the Greek gods and goddesses and archetypes um, mm. and how how you use them to connect with all of these different energies with or without labels um, and why why the Greek ones? Mm, yeah, so I am in love with mythology. I have always been in love with mythology and all cultures have their own fascinating mythology. I 
have found so much wisdom, for example, in the fact that we were speaking about uh, genders and how for many cultures like the Japanese culture or the, or the, uh, the Indian uh, pantheon, there was a masculine and a feminine God for everything, right? So there was music and there was a God and a goddess of music. So there is the sun and there is a God and a goddess of the sun. There is the moon and there is a God and a goddess. So I think that all mythologies in the world have this universal knowledge uh, but I particularly focus on Greek mythology because that is the one that seems more uh, attainable uh, when we when we re reach out for stories and more universal when we reach out for archetypal uh, signs, archetypal um, symbols. So. I personally am Mexican, and as a Mexican, we have our own stories and our own abuelos. We don't even call them gods. We call them our grandparents. Mm, I love that so much. <laughs> so much, because and th this is the thing with, with gods. They are our ancestors. Mm -hmm. We are honoring us, our ancestors. We are honoring that they are part of us, and we are part of them. And we are just this continuation of their lineage. Mm -hmm. So I would love to be talking about the Mexican abuelitos, but it could be so limiting for two reasons. One, they are not universal, meaning people in the USA, in Canada, in Australia, don't really know them, are not really familiar with them. Mm -hmm. So I could be needing to go back to basics for every story, right? Like in the beginning, we spoke about the matter and people understood who is the matter or they mm -hmm. have an idea. I didn't need to say, oh, she, she is the goddess of the earth. And, you know, people have an idea or it's easier to find something that brings that into, into sense, that makes sense of that story. But if I say the same about the gods from Mexico, nobody's going to be able to repeat the names <laughs> to start mm -hmm. with because mm -hmm. they are very very difficult so if i went and i said there is this story of when Tezcatlipoca met quetzalcoatl in the underworld it could be fascinating but it could be foreign and people could be could be lost in the translation of these names like who is she even talking about right it could be it could be interesting as something exotic, but we could get lost in that and we wouldn't be yeah. able to access the depth. Yeah, but yeah. However, um, thanks to people like Jung, like Carl Jung, we have this work of archetypes already, um, already dissected. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to access these energies that are somehow universal because we have even created a whole language around it uh, a whole language about the gods and goddesses of greece and rome mm -hmm. that we can access that information with more simplicity and we still have many stories to get from there mm -hmm. because these other places like my own country have been so devastated by colonization mm -hmm. that we don't even have the whole the whole stories, so many of them were destroyed. Yeah. There was this moment in which 
the one of the greatest uh, entities that we have in Mexico, Cuatlique, the mother of the universe, was found. And the day that she was, her sculpture, which is huge and beautiful, uh, was found, she has two snakes in the top of her head, uh, speaking about this connection of uh, the duality, like she connects the duality in her head. Mm-hmm. In the top of the, of her, um, that's the top of her head, and in the bottom of her feet, there is the underworld, the god of the underworld. Mm-hmm. And, and she has all these skulls and snakes, speaking about how universal and ancient she is. Well, when the Spaniards saw this sculpture, they started destroying her. Mm-hmm. They started beating the, the sculpture and since they couldn't destroy her because it was pure rock, they buried her. Mm-hmm. And years later when Mexicans already, uh, already Mexico free Mexicans discovered her they thought it was a demon they oh. what she represented. So, I just, could we pause for a moment because I just want to I just want to make a little bit of space to feel the loss of that and to acknowledge the loss of that, which is a story that's repeated around the world, especially in colonized places and places where um, Christian missionaries have gone. Um, That it just, I think it's important to let ourselves feel the loss and, and, um, depending on what your own cultural background is, you know, as a, as a white person, it makes me feel a bit of guilt for what my ancestors did too. But also I think it's important just to not brush it under the rug yes. and just say this, this happened. And um, it's, it's, it feels like we need to honor it with, with grief and with um, determination not to let different versions of that keep happening in our modern world. Exactly. Thank Mm. you. Thank you. Thank you. That is so important because it keeps happening around the world. Uh, And I would like to, to, to finish that story precisely with that, with how that happened with Guatlique. So there was this beautiful goddess, Guatlique, they destroyed her. They, they made people believe that she was a demon. But she was so close to the indigenous pop, uh, people that they knew she was the mother, the mother of all. So what they did was that they made this synchronization with the Christian uh, version of the goddess, the virgin, yeah. Yeah. and their own uh, goddess, Guatlique. Uh, when the colonizers thought that they had destroyed Quatlique for good, that they had destroyed the faith that people had in her, the truth is, even by creating a whole temple on top of the temple of Quatlique, mm. what happened was that people were still venerate, venerating her. Mm-hmm. They started calling her by another name. They called her Tonatzin. Uh, which means our mother. So it's mm-hmm. Tonatzin Guadalupe. Mm-hmm. So 
Donuts in Guadalupe became this version of Guadalupe, which was limited by Christianity, of course, but mm -hmm. it's still uh, a version of Guadalupe. And what happens is that some people come to Mexico, take the version of Guadalupe, and now it has become pretty much um, outside of Mexico, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find her still in some temples, in the St. Patrick's Church in, in New York, for example, mm -hmm. or even in Paris. Uh, but what happens is that some people start using the cult of Guadalupe without really knowing that depth because they are not familiar to her blood. Mm -hmm. They don't feel her like their mother. They feel her like this exotic goddess that they yeah. can venerate. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I am choosing to work with the Greek deities because mm -hmm. I want to be careful not to, not to make my own entities, my own deities, part of this colonization game in which they could either be used without being totally familiar without mm -hmm. having this blood connection with them yeah yeah while we all have some kind of blood connection with the greek culture or with the latin culture because yeah. at some point they were everywhere uh, and if we are um if we have people in our family lineage that at some point came from europe most likely they were colonized at some point by rome Mm -hmm. Therefore, they are somehow in our blood as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so important to be more conscious of the practices that we have. And the if we do work with gods and goddesses, like where do they come from? And try to unravel some of the kind of the weird power dynamics of cultural appropriation. I think it happens a lot in the spiritual community, especially with like the, the Hindu gods and goddesses. Mm, um, yeah. And not to say that, I mean, I can't speak to any one individual's personal understanding and relationship of them, but um it doesn't feel quite as sort of clean in terms of the power dynamic when Western people or white people use Hindu um, gods and goddesses and mythology, whereas I feel personally much more comfortable using or working with um, the Greek gods and goddesses for the same reasons that you've described. And I, I don't want to like, I'm not saying this to make anyone feel bad, but just to be more aware of the kind of bigger picture of the things that we're participating in mm -hmm. and to, yeah, have that kind of consciousness of where, where things come from. Yeah. I think that you just use the, um, the most powerful uh, word in here, which is the, the power dynamics. Mm. I think that explains it all. Um, because, yeah, the power dynamic is so different when we are using the goddesses and gods of a culture that we are not even feeling, um, maybe it will sound very weird, but we are not even recognizing the wholeness and complexity of their humanity yet. Mm, yeah uh, and what i mean is yeah we can be speaking about kali 
And then the same women, I just saw this recently, the same women that speak about Kali and about Tantra and about, you know, the gods and goddesses of, of um, India, Shiva and everybody, you find them speaking about how, um, about in this case, issues that women deal with um, without even acknowledging the fact that the reality in India is so, so painful at the moment. I was mm-hmm. just listening to this woman speaking about how uh, she, you know, like, like the, we were beyond feminism and the battle of feminism was long uh, overdue and stuff like that, <laughs> which for me was so, so triggering because I live in a country that needs feminism badly. Yeah, uh, yeah. And what I was thinking is how ironic that these same people go to countries um, in Latin America to have ayahuasca, to to have the culture of India to study Tantra. And then they say, oh, but since white women are okay, we, we are long past the need of a, of a battle for the rights of women. Mm-hmm. And then I, mm-hmm. I turn and see all these women in these countries where they are taking this knowledge from, and I say, no, these mm-hmm. countries need you the most. Mm-hmm. They need this awareness the most. They need us to speak up for them the most. Mm-hmm. And I include myself here in Mexico. The battle of feminism is so necessary. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other story. But mm-hmm. uh, the fact that there are so many women dying each year um, due to violence says how deeply we need this to be still a battle that is still going on so yeah we need to be careful about the bringing it back (laughs) to the conversation we need to be careful about the way in which we use these words and these terms and these gods and goddesses and the knowledge that the natives of these places offer if we are if we are not even taking care of their basic needs and making mm. sure that, that we do something to make the gap uh, of the power dynamic shorter, to make it something uh, better for everybody. Mm-hmm. 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 That makes so much sense. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you are in Australia, right? I am, yeah. Yeah, so I think that you have the same situation with the aboriginal cultures they are so connected to the earth mm-hmm. they are so connected to the spirits in their own very yeah. specific way i think that there's yeah. so much power in there yeah and also one of the things about um the australian in, or the the aboriginal culture in australia people think that the Aboriginal culture is one culture, but it's actually, there were so many different communities across the country, so many different languages, so many different groups that um, it's not even just one. You can't kind of paint it all with one brush. There's, it's very specific to the area where you live and the group where you live, but it definitely, there's so much that has been lost and deliberately extinguished by the colonizers. Uh, it's, a, it's a very ugly history of what the colonizers have done here. But they, there is that same 
I mean, they were here for 60,000 years before the white people came. Such a rich, deep tradition with being connected to the land and being wise custodians of the land. Um, that there's, there's definitely so much that we have to learn. And I think our country would benefit from having more indigenous leadership and indigenous people in positions of power. But it, mm. yeah, I, I'm very curious to keep learning more about the culture of the people who, who lived in the area where I live Um, but always keeping that in mind about not, not taking the thing that seems kind of exotic and cool and interesting to me and ignoring the rest. And I know that I won't do that perfectly either. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same with Mexico. We have just like, just like with Australia, many cultures, it's not just one culture. It's not just the Aztecs. It's all so many different little cultures that were around that that create this beautiful diversity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and I love that you say that it's not about being perfect, about making it perfect, but it's about the constant growth. I think that it's about constantly bringing this awareness. Yeah, always into, paying attention. Yeah, and honoring them. Yeah. Just bringing it from a place of honoring the people that are connected to these abuelos, to their ancestors, mm-hmm. because the more um, the more connected to the earth that the cultures were, the more connected to the spiritual world. Yeah. So there is like a thinner veil, mm-hmm. so they wouldn't consider them outside entities they would consider them part of the of the whole nature yes and it's interesting because as you say as you describe connected to the earth i think downwards towards my feet towards the earth towards the land and as you describe the spirit world i think up towards the sky out there which is just uh I don't exactly know where that comes from sometimes the way that we think of things, but I have been listening to a little bit of Daniel Four's work recently around animism where there, there are spirits in everything in the trees, in the rocks, in the water. And um, that's a, a concept that I understand is, essential to so many indigenous cultures and there's something about it that just feels really right to me that the spirit world is right here it's all around us there's you know i look i'm looking out my window now at all of the trees i can't see any birds at the moment but they're they're always here and it feels more like they're all my friends and it there's just something that kind of kind of like a a ringing of a bell through my body that um, is something that we being, we as in white people, people descended from European ancestry, especially white people who live 
outside of Europe, um, we've lost this connection to our own spiritual traditions from our own cultures way back. If you go far back enough, there is, um, we all would have a lineage that knows this kind of intimacy with the land and with the spirits and with energy and where the, the balance between the, I, if I can't say masculine and feminine, I don't know what to say, but between <laughs> all of the different energies are equally, um, or, or there's, yeah, they're equally valued and expressed and venerated. Yeah, totally, totally, totally agree. Mm-hmm. I think that that is the, the very basic um, idea behind going our real spiritual search being going back into our dna and being Mm. going back into that wisdom that our ancestors had Mm. i think there is the real search for the spiritual awakening somewhere i learned that it is about going deep into our dna where we find our real spirituality, our real mm-hmm. connection with the spiritual world. Mm-hmm. And when we go deep into our DNA, we find that, first of all, we have so many DNAs, right? Like we, we are not just one nation or one ethnicity mm-hmm. or one anything. We have so many, so many paths that have come together to form this story that we are not now living. So I would think that it's so important in order to really stop cultural appropriation and instead start doing cultural um, veneration, cultural uh, nourishment, a cultural exchange Mm -hmm. to first go deep and see what we are bringing into the table instead of just taking from the table. Yes, yes. May that be a compelling invitation to anyone listening. (laughs) Um, And now I'd love to talk a little bit more about um, Aphrodite and, and come back to that idea of reclaiming all of the different flavors of what it is to be a woman for anyone who identifies as a woman. Thank you. Yeah. So Aphrodite for me was my lifesaver. I I have always spoken in the terms of stories and in the terms of archetypes because I am a storyteller. I love mm-hmm. stories in any mm-hmm. shape and form. So I remember so clearly the day in which I was realizing that Aphrodite was dying in me. Mm. The day in which I realized that my erotism, my desire, my flirtatiousness was dying. And with that, I was just letting a part of me bigger than what I realized die. That if I let her die in that moment, I would have died because with that, I was giving up 
on desires, hopes, dreams, mm. and simply on feeling whole and complete. So that's when I realized that I needed Aphrodite to be a priority. Mm-hmm. I needed that playfulness. I needed that aliveness that, that awakens when you um, flirt. But you're not flirting with somebody else, but you're flirting with yourself. I realized mm-hmm. that I needed that taste of energy. Mm-hmm. And that with her came again the desire to achieve things in the world. The desire uh, that, that all my list of desires seems so unattainable that I stop dreaming, that I stop yeah. having desires. Yeah. So I realized that the energy, the archetype that has desires was Aphrodite. Mm. Mm. And oddly enough, as I allow Aphrodite to be a priority, I recognize that if I let her die, I would die. And I started bringing her back into my life. Mm-hmm. All the other energies started coming again. I started having, having a different understanding of Baobo. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling her really in my body. Mm-hmm. I started having a different understanding of Circe. Or, and I started having a different understanding of Morgana. Mm-hmm. Of this, of this darker, uh, more mystical aspects of myself that I thought I was very much in connection with. Mm-hmm. So I realized that Aphrodite was the gate, that she was the, yeah, she was literally the gate. Mm-hmm. I needed her in order to access these deeper aspects of myself. Yeah, and how did you start to? to connect with her and invite her into your body? It's interesting because she, I, I think that with everything divine, it starts with a permission and an invitation. Mm. When I started having that um, invitation in my head, when I, when I just thought about her and, and started looking for this book, Daughters of Aphrodite, I was like, oh my God, that is calling me so deeply. I need to read it. I recognized that I opened the door for her. Mm-hmm. So not long later, I had an spontaneous Kundalini awakening as mm-hmm. I was meditating. And so little by little, my practices went from deeply spiritual, because before this, I was already into spirituality for a long time. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, the kind of spirituality that goes from the heart up, never from the waist yeah, down. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with this, I allowed my spirituality to go from the waist up. Yes. And what, what happened was that everything started to show up. The little steps, the little things, the little signals started showing up in my way. I had already been working with the JDEP years before. But I was just using it without consciousness of what mm-hmm. I was doing. But when I brought Aphrodite into my life, I suddenly saw on my Facebook feed the right teachers, the right mm-hmm. teachings, the right books, the right people. And all of a sudden, it's like I just let life guide me. 
Mm. I know that it was Aphrodite herself. I even had a crush at some point, and that is important. I really think that we all need to have crushes when we're feeling like we're dying. Yeah. Even if we don't do anything about them, but just to have a crush, just to have somebody that makes you flirt with. Yes. <laughs> even when it's just about taking selfies to get likes. Yeah. <laughs> something that it's, that it's seen as vain and mundane and uh-huh. oh, it's your vanity. Oh, all you want is attention. Well, yeah, Aphrodite loves attention. Yeah. She loves to be seen and to be told how gorgeous she is. Yeah, so yeah. I started doing that. My, my personal Instagram, not my business one, but my personal Instagram is filled with sexy selfies like mm. not not in underwear but you know just those selfies that you take when you're flirting and your eyes start yeah. recognizing this beauty yeah so i started flirting with the camera looking and i think that is such an important step i started looking at myself because i think that long before that i had only seen myself through the eyes of other people yeah and the thing is that the more that I started looking at myself, I started looking at Aphrodite because she likes to be seen. Yeah. She likes to be venerated. And yeah. That's where it's so beautiful. The word veneration comes from the word Venus, which is the name, the, the Latin name of Aphrodite. Yeah. I so have the she... biggest smile on my face right now <laughs> hearing you talk about all of this. She likes to be seen. She likes to be told how gorgeous she is. Mm-hmm. All those things that we are shamed for wanting, like, oh, women shouldn't be wanting attention. Oh, you should know and love yourself enough so that you don't need attention. Well, yeah, but you have to start by recognizing that you actually need to look at yourself and to feel worthy of that attention. And then eventually, one gets to the point in which when somebody tells you, oh, you're beautiful, you can say, oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've um, I've been actually taking pole dancing classes for a little while now, and mm. as you talk about um, being seen, yeah. that's what it makes me think of. Because it does pole dancing is not like my most natural expression of my erotic self. But it's like getting to play with being more overtly sexual. And it is a performance. It's yeah. to, to show off and to be, but it's there. It's still, I still feel like I'm really in my body and I'm enjoying my body and I'm enjoying the experience. But it yeah. is very like you shake your ass and you spread your legs and you like, you know. Like Baubo, yeah, her little belts around her waist. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> there's aspects of both, but um, I've been noticing recently the the teacher who I have right now. When we're doing our so, there's a whole bunch of poles in the room, and then we all face a really big mirror. The whole wall <laughs> is a mirror, and I watch my teacher during the warm up, and the whole time. She is locked eyes with herself in the mirror, just watching and admiring herself doing these warm-up moves. And it got me thinking about like, oh, I think I want to look at myself like that. Just like unapologetic, 
shameless, admiring myself in the mirror because we have that idea that that's a bit vain or you're up yourself or like, you know, too, it's too much or too whatever, or like don't post too many selfies because, you know, it means that you're, you're full of yourself and you're only trying to get attention. What if, what if I own that? I love watching myself and look at me. It's so hot to watch myself and I love how I look. And yeah, of course I want to share it and show people. So I've been kind of playing with that in the last couple of classes. Um, It's really interesting. I notice myself like watch myself in the mirror a little bit and then look away just out Mm -hmm. of this sort of impulse to be like, oh, you don't want anyone to see that you're like watching yourself too carefully or like don't don't film yourself dancing too much, all of those kinds of patterns. So that's what I'm mm-hmm. kind of working with in the classes right now. That's And that's kind of what came to mind for me as you talk about. I love that you bring this up. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, and also, it's such a deep act of rebelliousness for mm. some of us mm. because some of us were raised to believe that that was deeply wrong yeah and could actually be punished by that or being taught that god would punish it would yeah. punish us for yeah. that so i i remember that that's how i was raised i was yeah. raised in a catholic uh country and i remember the first time that i got my my hair cut uh I was starting to look in, at the mirror. It was the first time that I had short hair. I was like nine years old. And I started looking at the mirror and looking at the different angles. And then my mother would tell me, stop that. Vanity is a sin. Mm. So ever since mm. I avoided looking at myself in the mirror. And eventually at some point I, I again looked at myself and discovered I was a teenager. I discovered myself and I was surprised. Mm. And my spiritual teacher back then, because I started very young, I, mm. I, I was studying spirituality when I was 12. Oh, wow. So my, <laughs> so my spiritual teacher uh, was almost like a mother as well, because I was just very uh-huh. young. I was 12. Uh-huh. And she told me, stop this. This is vanity. Don't be, don't be mundane. Mm. So I really went on for years without looking at myself in the mirror other than in the morning quickly and i remember my teacher told me yeah uh, priestesses just look at themselves once when they when they get their hair done in the morning and then they don't look at themselves anymore Mm. and um i now know that she was speaking from a place that uh wasn't really accurate to what i believe now (laughs) and Mm -hmm. as much as i love her i don't agree with that view anymore but Mm -hmm. but that was so painful for me i grew up what happened was i grew up looking at myself through the eyes of others and in the eyes of others i was never pretty enough Mm -hmm. desirable enough Mm -hmm. uh, tall enough thin enough even when i was thin i mean it's like okay maybe right now i might have some some a different body because i am a mother now but Mm. i am speaking about even when i was young and thin and whatever there was not enough ever it was never good enough it's Mm. like you can be 
a model and then again it's not good enough she can be uh a, i don't know claudia schiffer in my days when i was younger mm -hmm. but she can be beyonce and there is not good enough there mm -hmm. is always uh you are too much or too little or this or that mm -hmm. when some when you're looking at yourself through the eyes of others yeah yeah and what i found now is that that is a desecration of the sacred temple of aphrodite that lives in all of us mm. we are can you say that one more time <laughs> yeah we are constantly through that act going through a desecration of the sacred temple of aphrodite that mm. lives in all of us mm -hmm. mm. so and that's something that aphrodite doesn't take lightly she likes yeah. to be seen venerated and taken care of Oh, that brings like a whole new quality to the idea of um, like enjoying letting myself be seen and enjoying the, the look and playing with my own body out of it's interesting to think of that aspect of devotion to Aphrodite coming through in that practice, which could be seen as being vain. I think it's like one spiritual teacher once told me, you can do everything or mostly everything depending on where you're doing it from. Yeah. I think yeah. that it's, you, you can be looking at yourself in the mirror and thinking, oh my God, I'm so fat, so thin, so yep. old, yep. So, so whatever. Yeah. And that is still a desecration. Yeah. You can be looking at yourself while you are dancing and thinking, uh, about everything else but that moment and yeah. thinking about how badly you're dancing or whatever and it's still a desecration yeah but when you're thinking that that is an act of love of the divine that is veneration of venus then it becomes an active meditation it becomes mm. an act of love mm. and then you're present in your body you're nourishing your body and actually it becomes a spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to double down on the idea of being in pleasure, being in your body, enjoying your body is a spiritual practice. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. absolutely because it's her temple it's the way in which we in which we honor our divinity and her divinity because that is the thing with goddesses they are venerated through venerated each of us uh, the difference between the patriarchal model of spirituality mm -hmm. and the feminine mother uh, model of spirituality mm -hmm. uh, the goddess model of spirituality mm -hmm. is that the patriarchal model is hierarchical yeah and you need to honor a god that is outside yes you need to prove yourself worthy constantly yeah yeah and the goddess model is a model in which you honor the divine by honoring yourself your the life around you the mm. nature, the animals, like you mentioned, animalistic, uh, animistic uh, 
cults, they are the, the way of the goddess. Mm -hmm. The way of the goddess understands that it's horizontal and that the divine is in everything. Yeah. And everything starts with our own bodies. Yes. And hearing you describe that just feels like coming home. It feels like, so I, I grew up Catholic, um, which is everything you described about patriarchal hierarchical religion. <laughs> and it just, hearing you describe that, that goddess-centered approach, it just feels so right. And it, it also feels like a loss, that, uh, a sense of loss that I, I didn't have that growing up because especially as we were talking about bodies, growing up in that religion, I felt like I couldn't trust my body. My body could lead me astray. My, body, my desires could be sinful. My body was something that had to be watched carefully and controlled so that it didn't do the wrong thing. And the idea that my body is the home of the, the divine and that my body, like I can trust my desire and play in my body and that my body is also connected to all of the other bodies of all the other beings, including the trees and the soil and um, the ocean. That just feels like I, my whole body goes, Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it goes back to what we were speaking about earlier, which is wholeness. Yes. It goes back to understanding the wisdom of our bodies to go back into wholeness. Yes. I think that that wisdom is divine and that wisdom lies in, in all nature. Yeah. So when we connect to the way of the goddess by honoring us and honoring life, we can trust the divine rhythms and trust that our desires, our pleasure, our grief and our pain all mm. have a way of finding healing yeah. and to, to move through them with this ease, help us to, to find the way back home inside. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Oh, wow. I would love to hear a little bit about, or not just a little bit, tell us everything about um, what your offerings are and where people can find you. And after that, I'd love for you to draw a tarot card. Tell us a little bit about what tarot means to you and draw one and, and see if the tarot has a message for us in the conversation. And then I've got one more question for you after that. <laughs> Beautiful. So um, I will start with the last part just to say a little bit about what it means for me. And then I will draw the card at the end yeah. of, the, of the offerings, uh, saying about my offerings. Yeah. But the thing is, the tarot for me is this representation of these archetypal concepts in movement. So the tarot tells me a story, tells us a story. And the beauty of the tarot is that it becomes this kind of universal translator of the stories that are lying in the, in the consciousness of the world. 
So when I draw a card, what I'm doing is I'm just playing with this, with this universal translator of the stories that are available for everybody, the stories that we are telling ourselves and the stories that have been told by the collective. And for me, that's again, the path of the goddess because everything is interconnected. And yeah, what, what I offer is I work with connecting again the broken pieces because I mm -hmm. once thought I was broken as well. Mm -hmm. I like thinking that I was, I thought I was broken, but then, and my life felt like that. But then everything changed when I realized that I was unbroken, that everything made sense, that my pain made sense, that my trauma, my sorrow, my grief, my fears, all were survival mechanisms mm -hmm. that were made for me to survive in an environment that was, um, that was unfriendly <laughs> towards mm -hmm towards mm -hmm. me and towards us as women and towards uh, us as a culture in Mexico. So it was about surviving in a, in a culture and in an environment that feels aggressive. Mm -hmm. So I realized it was never in me. It was always part of, it was never that I had a flaw. It was never that I was broken. It was always part of my journey. And in realizing that, I realized that I could see all the missing links, the missing pieces. I could see, I could see the whole story like a narrator. Mm -hmm. And I could see how it all became a huge, beautiful story once we could see the, the link, the golden thread. And so I, I have been... Um, and this is so funny because I, I have been refusing to embrace this part of myself. I have been refusing to embrace the priesthood. I have been refusing mm -hmm. to embrace Unbroken, which is mm -hmm. my program. Mm -hmm. Because a part of me was feeling unworthy because uh -huh. it was still believing in the patriarchal story that I needed to prove myself. Yeah, And then... This, the missing link came because that's the magic with the divine. When, mm -hmm. when you trust the divine and invite her in, she just takes the lead. Mm -hmm. And it came when I, when I was reading this beautiful book called Initiated, uh, that she was talking, uh, and then also a book called When God Was a Woman. Mm -hmm. And they both speak about how the patriarchal asks about hierarchies, permissions, and initiations, and processes of, you know, somebody granting you this or the other, and you proving yourself worthy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When the feminine, the divine, the, I don't want to, I would like to call it just the way of the goddess. Mm -hmm. When the way of the goddess is about flowing with the rhythms of life mm -hmm. and not in resistance to the rhythms of life mm -hmm. so that's when I realized I had to stop resisting what has been wanting to flow for a long time mm -hmm. and so I launched this program called 
unbroken. Mm-hmm. And this episode or this this part of unbroken is focused on the gate opener on Aphrodite. So it's unbroken dash Aphrodite. So it's a, it's a program where I take women through uh, an eight week uh, module, eight, eight modules, one per week, where we explore one story, one ritual, one energy, and then some guided practices each week, one with different flavors, so that we can get to know better these different aspects of the being that mm-hmm. are alive in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And also I offer one-on-one coaching. So the Unbroken is a person, it's a group program. And it's starting on October the 9th. Mm-hmm. And I also offer one-on-one coaching where I guide women through practices and stories and, and um, psychological tools. Uh, the, the toolbox and the, the roadmap necessary for them to see mm-hmm. where life is taking them and how mm-hmm. to get to find this golden thread of Ariadna mm-hmm. that we have that, that gives sense to everything. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. That sounds so powerful. And I just I love the way I know, I know that you're very grounded in um, working with the body as well, but I love the way that you weave in working with the body, working with pleasure, working with spiritual connection, working with the goddess and um, smashing the patriarchy all at the same time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's part of embracing all the things that I am passionate about and understanding that, again, they are all held by a golden thread. Yes, yes. Ah, beautiful. Uh, So also you wanted a card. Yeah. I am curious about what the tarot has to say. Me too. For everybody listening to that. Because mm-hmm. this has been a very intense year and I I really mm. I really want to know what it has to say about what is left of the year mm-hmm. or whatever message we need to know right now. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> okay, so I have to laugh because the tarot has this sense of humor. And and it makes sense. Life has a sense of humor. It Mm -hmm. constantly tells us these cosmic jokes. It's like like a story full of um, Easter eggs. Definitely. (laughs) There are these, um, these birds called the kookaburras here in Uh australia especially on the east coast and when when they call they often sound like they're laughing it actually sounds kind of like a bunch of monkeys sort of 
but uh-huh. also like a laugh. And they call every morning at sunrise and sunset and sometimes during the day. But when I hear them, it always reminds me of like that cosmic joke and not to take myself too seriously. Sometimes I'll be like doing a practice and feeling all like consumed by my own problems. And then I'll hear the kookaburras being like, you silly human. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So cool. They're my favorite. Okay. I have multiple favorite birds, but they're one of my favorites. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. That, that, that's really an Easter egg of nature, mm-hmm. a reminder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So the tarot here is speaking about the wisdom attained. And I would understand that it is speaking about the whole year because that was the question. Mm-hmm. So this year has filled us with learning, with, with new and wiser lenses to look at the world through Mm. with a way in which we know that everything is different yet we know that we have what it takes to face what is to come or whatever is thrown at us there is this sense of wise wisdom that is represented by the queen of swords Mm. and i'm seeing as well the high priestess and that's why i'm laughing because Mm. we're just talking about the priestess (laughs) (laughs) and the way of the goddess and how i see it is she's the guardian of the sacredness of the sacredness of nature and the sacredness of the way of the goddess she's beyond duality she holds she starts um stands in the gate of the sacredness of the two walls the black and white she knows there is no duality because she is beyond that already. She mm-hmm. holds all her see all the secrets of the universe, and she holds the way of the goddess. She holds it in her hands, where she holds this beautiful uh, fem- feminine fruit. Um, I-, I forgot the name in English. You know the fruit of the goddess. The um, you call it granada, which is like this pomegranate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is it? It's. It's got like all the pink red seeds inside. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So she's holding it, representing that she's holding the divine goddess, uh, the wisdom, the that seed of the goddess. You know, we started with the story of um, Baubo and Persephone. Mm. Persephone is the seed of the goddess. Mm. Persephone is the seed of the matter. And she goes deep into the underworld to be, to become a fruit, to to be, uh, to be to flourish in the mm. underworld, underground. Mm. And that's what the high priestess does. She's holding the seed in her hand, so she has grown wiser, as we can see with the Queen of Swords, and now she can face this wisdom. And it's also speaking about the time of the goddess. I would really dare to say that this. Time, the time is going back into the day day of the goddess. The time is going back into the cult of the divine goddess, the divine feminine that is not speaking about gender, but speaking about the way of the goddess. We are Mm -hmm. going back to her way. We're going back to this this way of seeing the world. Mm -hmm. And there is the page of, of fire, the page of wands, which is speaking about this new passion 
there's something new and desirable that is being born that is, that is passionate and intense and that is so related to the to the sacred fire of sexuality so again it tells us that sexuality is a gateway mm-hmm. to finding this way of the goddess to getting to getting out of the underworld and flourishing mm-hmm. oh. thank you so much for sharing that are you doing tarot readings still as well Yes, so mm-hmm. I also do tarot readings. Uh, that is my my uh, my version of having coffee with yeah. people. <laughs> <laughs> the, the truth is that uh, usually tarot readings are much more expensive, uh, especially with the depth that I do them. Yeah. But for me, they are something that I do pretty much like having a coffee with people. That's the way yeah. in which I get people gets to know me, to work with me yeah. at a cheaper uh, at a cheaper price, yeah. price, yeah. and to and to get a taste of what it's like to work with me. So yes. this is my my gateway. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. That's your gateway, <laughs> and then that made me think of how you've described Aphrodite. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So to finish, I would love to hear if there was one thing that you would want people to take away from listening to this conversation, what would it be? Mm, I would like people to take with them the, okay, remember we were speaking about how we have these different aspects of the self so Mm -hmm. i would like them to look at their village to get to know the archetypes in their inner village Mm -hmm. and to get to see which one is needing their attention the most Mm -hmm. in my case it was aphrodite but in your case it might be hades or demeter Mm -hmm. or no whichever part of yourself is needing your attention the most to take the time to feed that part because there's usually where the, the most growth lies. Yeah. I know that sexuality is the gateway, but we have different approaches to sexuality. So take the time to find the one that feels the healthiest, the most nourishing, and the one you need the most. Yeah. And find it and embrace it and love it madly because you deserve to be loved. Yeah. Yes. And I think on similar lines, I would love people to feel permission to know and embrace every aspect of themselves, not just um, what is pretty or expected of them based on their, um, the gender they were born with or what their culture says to have permission to just be in the fullness of who you are. And I loved what you shared about understanding that your, your pain and your trauma was not like that, that wasn't something wrong with you, that all of that is part of your wholeness. It's part of the ways your system has tried to take care of you. And so there's beauty to be found in all of that. Yeah, mm. Absolutely. 
Thank you so much. I have thoroughly enjoyed this and I'm so inspired to keep diving into learning more about Baobo and Aphrodite and reclaiming this way of the goddess. I love it. Thank you so much for your kind invitation and thank you so much for being this open open channel to let the, the to let the feminine and the sacredness and the energies that need to come through flow. Mm. Thank you so much. It brings me great pleasure to share reawakening love and power with Carol Ann with you. And I hope it brings you pleasure to listen. You can find Sasha, her upcoming program Unbroken, and links to her social media on her website at sasha-coeto.com slash unbroken. Her surname is spelled C-U-E-T-O, and you can find the link in the episode description too. Sasha and I are both very skilled at what we do. As you got a taste of throughout this episode, we both bring different flavors to the work that we do. So if you're curious to dive into this work and explore the difference it could make in your life, I would love for you to contact either Sasha or me, whichever flavor resonates with you the most. I love to support women through one-on-one coaching to come home to their bodies and their sensual, sexual nature in a way that works for them. If part of you is curious and drawn to working with me, book in a free no-pressure clarity call and we can chat. You can book in on my website at carolann.com.au and find me on Instagram at carolannalive. Please subscribe or follow if you're listening on Spotify and share this podcast with anyone you think might benefit from it. May this episode be a spark that lights a fire in you to come home to your full nature and the way of the goddess.